podcast where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karans and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I'm Beth, Tessa's mom and also a writer. Tessa and I have been talking about politics and art and culture pretty much since she could read. Sometimes these conversations have taken on a marathon quality, so when Tess moved to Seattle, it occurred to us that we could move these discussions over to the digital world, maybe even into a podcast. So here we are. The Gilmore seemed like a good place to start because the story resonates with us. I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford. But we also found that the plot lines of the show often touch on topics that Tess and I like to discuss, such as how women are portrayed in popular culture, family relationships, friendships, and they are, they, the show also has a lot of music and movie references. So here we are, recording from our respective studios in separate cities. Tess is in Seattle, and I am in St. Louis. And I have had two large cups of coffee today, so I'm done with coffee. I, I am drinking water now. And my, let's see, I definitely have had, I think I'm on my second cup. Okay. <laughs> That's a great, and I'm drinking it out of a Luke's Diner mug. Which is what I usually do too, but today it's water, so. And it was decently warm until about 10 minutes ago, and now it's quite, quite room temperature. Not, now that we have started recording, it's, it's getting cold, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we now have a Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash where you lead, all one word. Uh, every week, we will start off with a synopsis of the episode, along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 14, That Damn Donna Reed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it should be damned. Yeah. People get that wrong all the time, but I'm surprised that TV writers get it wrong. Yeah. Anyway, it originally it originally aired February 22nd, 2001. Do you want to do a synopsis? Yeah. Um, okay, so my joke synopsis is this is the episode where the girls watch Donna Reed and nothing happens. But my real summary of this episode is this is maybe the worst episode of the show. Well, it certainly is of the ones we've watched together and, and discussed so far. It is, is my least favorite. Um, yeah. So many reasons for that, but maybe our our alternate title one one idea for our, our alternate title could be nothing happens yeah because that's a a line that they repeat a couple of times yeah so we t- we we start with the, <clears throat> the cold open mm-hmm. Dean is walking into the house with pizza and a salad without knocking and if you followed along with us so far you know the Dean is Rory's boyfriend so mm-hmm. he is coming over with pizza and salad and they're going to sit down and watch the Dada Reed show mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the first thing that happens is they attack him for bringing a salad yes you know food is a, food is an issue in this show pretty often mm-hmm. and actually it's there's a lot of stuff in this episode that comes back to bite itself in the butt a couple of times mm-hmm. and this is one of them because food is brought up several times yeah. during the episode this is the first reference it, it's just it's really bothersome to me because they jump all over him mm-hmm. for bringing a salad and then he says well 
he kind of says, well, the salad is for me. It's clear that he intended for them to share the salad, but he decides to eat it. Yeah. And, you know, eating a salad before eating a pizza is a great idea. It is, yeah. Because it will fill you up with healthier food, and you might not eat so much pizza. It's a very good idea. and It'll also help you digest the pizza. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But there's there's got to be a reason for why they, they – well, there is a reason. There's a, There's just a whole lot of situations – in this episode where somebody is being attacked for mm-hmm. something. Yeah. It's 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 a real mean episode. It is, yeah. Anyway, so they're watching Donna Reed and I I will admit that I love Donna Reed. Oh, really? I love her as an act. Yeah, I love her. She was she was in It's a Wonderful Life. She was one of the best parts about that movie. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, her 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 she was the mother. Yeah. She married Shimmy Stewart, who is the best part of the movie. The only reason, well, they the two of them are the only reasons for watching that movie. Don't get me started on that movie. <laughs> It's 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 a really well made movie, but it is so depressing to me. Yeah, and that the only way George survives life, survives and comes back to his family at the end, is through divine intervention. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just to me a really depressing movie, and I've had this discussion with lots of people. How we may have even talked about it on our podcast. It's possible before. that is maybe your least favorite movie. <laughs> I, you know, it's a love-hate relationship because yeah. I, I appreciate it on many levels. Jimmy Stewart is wonderful. Mm-hmm. There's, of course, he, he is never not wonderful. Donna Reed is never not wonderful. She, she, she's not a beauty. I mean, she's not particularly beautiful. She just has a very peaceful, I don't know, loving face. I, that's the only way I can, I can describe it. She's just, she's, she, she's very happy. She comes across as very happy. In most, in, of course, she's probably made movies where she's not happy. I haven't seen her complete repertoire. But anyway, she did have a TV series in the 50s. I think it's the 50s. And, you know, it's a family sitcom, I guess. You would call it a sitcom. And it's basically just a very well-adjusted family. And I want to say that the two kids who are actually young adults, the, the actors are young adults, and you're going to get to see it in the, in the, the Gilmore Girls episode, but uh, Shelley Fabray plays the daughter. She is uh, an actress and singer who had, went on to have a pretty good career. She was never a movie star, mm-hmm. but she was well-known, and she was in Coach. That was a TV show that was on, gosh, for a very long time. She was in that. And she had a couple of hit singles in the 60s, pop singles, um, musical. So she plays the daughter. And I want to say Paul Peterson is the son. And how the hell I know all this stuff without even looking it up is beyond me. I can't remember what I had. (laughs) I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Yeah. I have never seen Donna Reed. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I have no frame of reference for these things, except for what we saw on the show today. Carl Betts plays her husband, and Paul Peterson, sure as hell, I looked it up. Um, it's the Stone family. Anyway, so yeah, I remembered, the, I remembered, I didn't remember Carl Betts, but I did remember the other two. Anyway, so it's a, it was a pretty famous and popular TV show at a time when mostly men were the stars of shows mm-hmm. and had the, sh- the shows named after them. You know, we ha- we have long lived in a culture where culture itself revolves around men. So this was a TV show that revolved around a woman. Now she happened to be a homemaker, and so that is that is what pisses off the Gilmores. Yeah, is that she she is a homemaker. They are taking it out of context. It was set in the fifties. And, and they don't even bother to learn until the very end of the show that 
Donna Reed was an uncredited creator of the show. I mean, she was a producer and director, didn't get any credit for it because she was a woman. Yeah. That should have been front and center in their attention. And when they do find that out, like... I, no big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess we're like kind of skipping around here, but I don't really mind that much because I feel like what's more important is that we talk about the themes of the episode than everything yes, yes. that happens in this one. I agree. Yeah, so Rory does eventually do some research into Donna Reed and she finds that out and she's like, really impressed which like that's cool but as she was saying it i was like where is your outrage it was her own show and she wasn't allowed to be credited for these things this is my problem with the episode is not so much that rory and dean have this conflict it's that rory like fails at arguing her side for the entire episode like it's like both of them are missing the point the the problem is not donna reed the problem is inequality and it feels like neither Mm -hmm. of them get that it's so yeah it's so frustrating it's absolutely frustrating and there is a reason why and i can't remember now i know i read about this at one time but the show is not about it's not called the stone family show Mm -hmm. it's called the donna reed show Mm -hmm. she was the draw for this television show she was a famous movie star she made a lot of movies and she was bringing her skill set and talent and beauty to television yeah. and the only way she, she they could get her was to name the show for her mm-hmm. why do they never point that out when they're when they're arguing you know about how terrible the show is because she's always cooking mm-hmm. and she's all she's doing is taking care of her family really stop for a second this show is named for her mm-hmm. it's her show it's not the men's show yeah. not her daughter's show they are supporting characters to this woman do you know how rare that was in 1950s america Mm -hmm. so why are you not getting any of this and i understand that yes she's a homemaker well i'm sorry a lot of women in the 50s were were homemakers and 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 that's just what that was just a portrayal of life at that time yeah it's i mean it's this double thing and I, i think it's very indicative of a lot of where like the popular discussion about feminism was at the time where there was kind of simultaneously this belief that feminism wasn't necessary anymore. We had completely achieved equality. So there was no point in talking about it, but also there was like no need to like appreciate what women before had done. And both of these things are Mm -hmm. happening in this episode. Like, yes, sorry, my cat just knocked something off the table. (laughs) (laughs) That cat, a female cat, by the way, Mm -hmm. having, having her own way. Yes. Very, feminist cat she takes no shit from nobody (laughs) yeah this is true but what's lacking here is a deeper understanding Mm -hmm. of this television show they don't make any effort to really understand it they see that she is making donuts what does she say here not that my surgery attitude wouldn't make anyone one wouldn't make anyone an instant diabetic okay so what she's talking here is that i'm I'm backing up a little because we're talking about food they are making once again bringing up the diabetic reference yeah once again having diabetes is a punchline is a punchline and they're making fun of done for dean for eating salad and that's where the punchline comes in but it also comes up because of the they're making donuts in in the Dina Reed show. So I am not loving they're making fun of Dina Reed, yeah. who I happen to love. Also, Shelley Fabray is a daughter. She's a good actress. And the thing is, they're not listening to the dialogue. They're just making fun. He says that to them. You're not listening to the dialogue. They're just making fun. They're watching this show. They might as well mute it. Might as well watch it on mute. Yeah. Because they're they're making up their own dialogue as they go along. And you know, women's roles are pretty limited. But at that 
time, but as someone who grew up in a family that was not happy, mm-hmm. I loved the Donna Reed show. Yeah. And I didn't watch it until it had, it had been off the air for 10 years. I saw it in the 60s and 70s. But these are happy people who yeah. love each other. If you're just going to talk about this show, maybe that's unrealistic. But boy, what a relief it was to see that, that people were out there in, in families yeah. that actually were successful. Yeah. I didn't see that at home. So yeah. I love this show. I, I mean, <laughs> I have really know, good feelings about this show. I, f- I feel like maybe like a good parallel to talk about is I Love Lucy. Because if you watch I Love Lucy mm. now, like the joke is that Lucy is kind of stupid and incompetent, right? Like that's the joke oh, every episode. Yeah. So if we think about that now, that seems kind of unfeminist to us. But without Lucille Ball, no woman ever gets to have her own show. Like... With, without Lucille Ball and Donna Reed, like, how how do we ever progress? You you kind of you can't and, and you know I I don't I don't want to like go down the route of like you have to excuse things because of their time, but no. you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Yes, these these television shows do not look feminist to us now, but they were important milestones. You know, like you were saying at the time, most television was about men. So just the fact that this show was about a woman made normal mm-hmm. Americans get used to seeing women on television. In, le- in leading roles. In leading roles, yes. And like, eventually this leads to the Mary Tyler Moore show, where like Mary Tyler Moore mm-hmm. is allowed to have a career. That probably wouldn't mm-hmm. happen without this right. show and without I Love Lucy. There's a progression. And yeah. also, without without I Love Lucy, there would be no fucking Star Trek. True. And I, I, <laughs> I don't mean to yell... <laughs> We are, you and I love Star Trek. We're Trekkies. We we love all of the, the things that happen in the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. all the shows, all the characters. None of that would be possible if not for Lucille Ball. So, and also, yes. Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek, Whoop, Whoopi Goldberg has talked about this, but Nichelle Nichols' role on Star Trek, she was like the first black woman on television who wasn't playing a maid. And that's yep. why she a professional, stayed on it. Yeah. A professional woman with with a skill set that was enviable. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just amazing. And yeah. she was a technical. Her 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 position was technical. Mm-hmm. And she had to solve technical problems. So it, it 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 was a wonderful character. So I, I think that what rubs me wrong is when they're sitting there making fun of Donna Reed, is their absolute certitude that there is nothing redeeming in anyone else's lifestyle. And in you know, that if it's not a, if it's not an obviously feminist lifestyle, mm-hmm. it's not redeeming or redeemable. And I'm sorry, that's just not true. Yeah, I also feel like it's almost not even about the feminism for them. It's literally just yeah. they're di- this is it's a different, different kind of this is a woman being feminine in a different way. Because Rory and, and Lorelai mm-hmm. are both feminine. They're just yeah. feminine in a much more like modern sensibility and this like kind of comes to a head later when Lorelai's making fun of Rory for putting on that dress and it's just like that's just a fashion we're basically arguing about what physical aesthetic presentation you like and pretending that it's about feminism but it's it's not because no one ever makes the actual feminine feminist point and this is like my my annoyance with the actual argument is that i feel like rory is like sensing some anti-feminism in dean because i get what dean says but i also chafe 
at what Dean says because his his exact thing is, yeah. I think it's nice a wife cooking dinner for her husband. Well, it's a simplistic. It's a simplistic. He doesn't understand yes. why really why he thinks it's nice. He yes. doesn't get it. And the thing is, what she's doing is she's nurturing. She is showing her family love by cooking for them. That is a common, and I don't want to say trope, but it's a common tradition on TV in. Uh, um, in movies, and it's not always women doing the cooking. Sometimes it's men doing the cooking. Not in this you know, show. If you, if you, if, not in this show. But if you if you watch The Godfather, it's a man stirring the when when there's a scene in the kitchen. They're yeah. always in the kitchen because yeah. <laughs> it's an, Ita- an Italian family. So they're in the kitchen, and and it sometimes is the men stirring the sauce. So people cook for each other as an act of love, as an act of nurturing, yeah. as an act of caregiving. And that's what Donna Reed is doing. And that is what appeals to Dean. Yeah. Well, and I and I, that's also my issue with Rory's argument, because when Dean says that, he says it a couple of times. He says, like, what's wrong with a wife cooking for her husband? Rory's response isn't, does the husband also cook for the wife? Or is this only a one-way yes. street? No one says yes. that at any point in the episode. Mm-mm. And that's the problem. There's no deeper digging into what's going on here yeah. at all. It's just, it's surface level criticism and it's mean mm-hmm. and it's a it's obnoxious. Yeah. They are obnoxious in this scene and I don't like them. Yeah. I like, I, I don't agree with Dean and I'm taking his side. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way they treat him in this scene is really uncomfortable even before he says that because yeah they're reacting to the salad and i get that it's a joke that they don't eat healthy stuff but does that mean they're allergic to it coming into their house like i just such a it's weird mean. yeah it's mean bully it's bullying mm-hmm. they they you know it's like i don't know i they, they both of them jump on him and i don't like it but i think the donna reed thing too is donna reed is emily Mm. And and mm-hmm. I think they there's two things here that Lorelai re- has rejected Donna Reed because she makes her you know yeah think of her 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 mother channels her mother for her yeah. but why is Rory rejecting it and I think it's because she has swallowed everything her mother has told her without giving it any kind of critical assessment yeah she's just accepted it and I say that as a feminist mm-hmm. you still have to think for yourself. You have to be able to parse these things. Yeah. And she, she's not doing it here. I, I think it's both that and I also think it's kind of the sentiment that we had at the time about feminism. Like, I, I think Rory mm. has also sort of accepted our belief at the time, which was there's no need for feminism anymore because women are now equal. She's accepted that on a surface level, but something mm. about what Dean has said is kind of revealing of the fact that that's not true. But it's like mm. she can't, she can't get to the point of realizing that it's not true that the sexes are totally equal at this point so instead she's sort of jumping on these little minutia or whatever or specifically what she jumps on when, when they're talking about it later at the bus stop the her argument is women in the 50s didn't have a choice but women now have a choice so it's totally different and I'm just like it's it's not that different actually yes no. women now are expected to work and when I say now I mean 2003 though also now 
um, or 2000, what, 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 what was the year? What year are 2001. we 2001. 2001. Um, so yeah, in the year 2001, yes, women are allowed to work, but the thing that we're not talking about that Dean explicitly references when he talks about his mom is that women are expected to work, but they're also still expected to do all of the housework. That is still yes. the societal expectation, which to be fair, Rory does not have that much of a front row seat to because she lives alone with her mother. So of course she and her mom have to do all of the taking care of themselves because they're the only ones around. So maybe she hasn't seen this family dynamic before, but it is very much, it was still true then. And it is kind of still true now that like, sure, women can work, but they are expected to do all of the household stuff and men are and not. And there's a reason for that. It's because of how this evolved. Women did not re-enter the workforce as an opportunity. They were forced into the workforce because of changes in our tax laws that made it impossible for families to live on one income. Now, in the long run, and I mean in the very long run, that has had a beneficial effect on women who decide, many women in the 70s went back to work and realized I don't want to be a secretary. While I'm working, I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to become my boss's boss. I mean, that's that was an evolution that happened in the 70s and 80s and, and that was a good thing. But because this is all based on economic need rather than on women's changing attitudes about, yeah, yeah, about wanting to have careers, they wanted that. But a lot of women did. But a lot of women just wanted to support their families. Yeah. So because of the, it evolves in the wrong matter yeah. is what i'm saying and because of that the pandemic rolled a lot of it back exactly and and fortunately your generation and your generation may be the first one because i don't even think generation the x people gen, gen x people have had the kind of my mine certainly didn't that people of my age baby boomers did not i mean women worked careers and came home and took care of children in the household that's just the way it was and it still is and you could talk to your blue in the face but people get used to things when I when I stopped working for a few years while you kids were little I took on all the household responsibilities so when I went back to work I thought well we can split these responsibilities again right didn't happen no. No. so and of course I ended up not that marriage not working so, and that's and then that that happened that that happens too that probably has fed a lot of the divorce rate yeah too so there's a lot to this story that they are not even superficially yeah it's like getting getting why, at. why make donna reed the center of this whole episode and then not yeah. actually talk about it at all it's so frustrating and, and and listeners we are just through the first scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe maybe we should you know okay why don't i we should skip ahead I'll, I'll just like summarize a couple of things that happen and then we can kind of pick and choose what we want to talk about because obviously okay. the, the topic of this episode has us both inflamed so uh that the two mm-hmm. there the two main storylines are on the one hand rory and dean are having this conflict over donna reed which results in oh babette the neighbor comes over and reveals to Rory and Lorelai that she and uh, Maury got a new kitten and they named it Apricot, but they need someone to take care of her for the night because Maury's got a gig in New York. So Rory mm-hmm. agrees to take care of the kitten and then she ends up inviting Dean over and we can get to that part 
later, but she does a whole Donna Reed thing. And then the main other plot line that's happening is uh, Luke is getting pressured to paint the diner once again or to spruce up the diner once again. And mm-hmm. Lorelai joins in on the pressure. And pretty much directly because Lorelai asks him, Luke finally agrees. <laughs> she ini- she initiates it. And yeah. she actually she actually says to him, I forget exactly how she phrased it, but I think this place really needs sprucing up. And mm-hmm. the thing is, it feels like she's picking on him. Mm-hmm. It feels like throughout this episode, Lorelai is picking on somebody. Yeah. And in this case, it's Luke. I um, almost and he wondered d- if uh, Taylor had put her up to it because he is sitting at the diner. And they, they don't say this, so th- this was just what I thought. And it then could be. There was never a reveal that that was true. It could but be. But in the moment, because he'd, he'd done that before, right? Like he had asked her to to talk to Luke about yes. the the turkeys and the pumpkins. There's two things about the decor in Luke's in Luke's diner though. The the camera at one point uh, pulls back and it has you have uh, Lorelai on the right, Luke, Luke is standing next to her taking their order and Taylor is behind them. Behind Taylor is a wall. Mm. And it's it's actually they're talking about the paint being dingy and that the place needs to be cleaned. But the but the wall is painted in a very attractive kind of dark teal. Yeah, and 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 the whole both walls that you see are full of shelves, mm-hmm. full of coffee mugs, mm-hmm. which is a an appropriate decor for a diner. It's adorable. It's really well done. The diner looks beautiful. And it's like, I don't know what their problem it's, is. It's great. And and so they've got this scene, or this you know they set this scene. With this visual behind this conversation going on, going on about how dingy and and how it needs a you know it, it needs to be revitalized and, mm-hmm. you, and 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 it's like what are you talking about? Yeah, we can right we behind can see you. the diner. It looks we it can looks see great. the diner. It looks good. <laughs> However, later on in the episode, when we'll, we'll and we'll get to the scene when they're actually working and you know walking through and trying out paint colors. You can see only in that scene. You mm-hmm. don't ever see it at any other other time and in any other episode. But you can see that all the trim is bare wood and it looks a little splintery almost. Yeah. But also, one of the things, one of the reasons, and, and there, there is a reveal on this later, that Luke has in the back of his mind is he doesn't want to lose how the diner looks because it reminds him of his father. Yeah whose building this was and he he had a hardware store there his father we have to assume is dead he's dead yeah and his his memories of his father are tied up in the diet and how it looks so why would he want to change that yeah. he does eventually give in but it's it's we don't get to that until later anyway it's just the whole scene is also difficult yeah. just like the opening scene was it's contentious mm-hmm. and it feels like he's getting picked on by the whole town yeah I don't think we need to talk about the grandparents' plotline very much, but the scene right after that is the another dinner at the grandparents, and that scene is also kind of weird. I think it's a little bit funnier just because it's so ridiculous, but like the grandparents are- It both, is ridiculous. They're both put out because they can't go to Martha's Vineyard this year because their usual rental isn't available because they waited too long to get it. And so, No, Emily. Emily waited too Emily. long. It's pinned on her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both, I think both Rory and Lorelai suggest that they go to Europe and they're just like, but we only go to Europe in the fall. What's there to do in Europe in the spring? Which is just ridiculous ridiculous uh oh and then and then they complain that they they can't go to europe because first class tickets 
would be too expensive uh, at this time. And so Lorelai's like, well, you don't have to fly first class. And they're just completely appalled at that concept. And that's a that's a great <laughs> visual scene. Because yeah. she is sitting there picking off the ways that they can save money on a flight. You can, you can go coach. You can go business, business class. class. Yeah. She gets slower and slower because you can look for deals on the internet. And meanwhile, the, the, the camera is clicking back and forth between Richard and Emily. And they're looking at her like she's got horns growing yeah. out of her head what what the what the fuck are you talking about the that, that's the look on their on their face what not go for first class what, what are you talking about now in their defense if you're flying over over the ocean first class is probably, it's really I mean, much yeah. more comfortable because it's not a very comfortable flight for that long period of time but even so they could do it if they wanted to anyway it's a short scene and my the only thing i really have on it is that richard is picking on emily yeah. and it seems to me in every scene lorelei is picking on someone and she's picking on her parents here too i don't know it's just a it's a contentious episode yeah um okay and i did this slightly out of order so the next scene is when we find out about the kitten and rory agrees to take care of it she says to her i can't believe how quickly you jumped at the chance to spend the night away from oh, me right yeah and 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 i'm sorry but she's 16 years old and she has only been away from you twice mm-hmm. in her life no sleepovers well i, I mean, mean her best really? friend is lane maybe mrs kim doesn't allow sleepovers okay that that's that's my best explanation but it's it's wild yeah so what i have next is a very quick scene on the street that i just want to mention because the visual is so wonderful but there's a guy sitting on the corner the troubadour and it's a yeah and but at first i'm like was that elvis costello because he looks like but but then my second thought was is that is that neil grayston (laughs) and 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 listeners should know that reference douglas fargo in eureka Uh, and it might that's what it looks like to me he shows up again at the end of the episode and i don't think it was him okay it's yeah but it does look a lot like him looks a lot like elvis costello yeah but we see him at the beginning and we see him at the end of the at the end of the episode on that same same street corner yeah my note on that is this is our first sighting of the town troubadour who looks like elvis costello i think he's a recurring he's a recurring okay Um, but i do think this was our first because that that's that's why i noticed him I mean, obviously, like you get you get a shot of him, but also I was like, "Ooh, that's the town troubadour." He gets like a plot line later. Okay, and he, and he does look like Elvis Costello, but it, but that's a, a you know that's a tropish look. I mean, it's the, it the big glasses. And Although this skinny, is you know skinny legs. <laughs> this show does eventually play some Elvis Costello songs as part of the soundtrack, so it could be intentional. But yeah, yeah, that that that's the bus stop scene. Which my main other note for that is while Dean and Roy are greeting each other, they are standing right in front of the door to the bus yes and there are two people very clearly trying to get past them and they just don't move oblivious they're just oblivious <laughs> to the rest of the world and and she's got a girl a bird cage in her yes. hand because she's bringing a bird home from school and they're kissing and blocking the entrance to the bus that other people have to i'm surprised the bus driver didn't yell at them i mean that mm-hmm. would have been you know that's what I would have written into the scene, but anyway. Uh, and then they do talk about him coming over to help her take care of the kitten. And then he says that he has to get to work earlier on Thursdays because it's a busy day. And he makes a crack mm-hmm. about lots of repressed housewives shopping for their husband's dinner. I thought it was great. I, mean, I thought it was a great joke. <laughs> I like. It, I think it would be funnier if he didn't sound kind of bitter as he said it. And it can was you also, blame him though? 
I mean, not, Can you blame him? <laughs> not not entirely, except that he is also wrong. That is a real thing. Like he's he's saying it sarcastically, and like I know. I'm I know. sorry. Are you arguing that there were no repressed housewives in the '50s who had to shop for their husbands? Is that your argument, Dean? I thought it was. I thought it was oppressed. Did he say oppressed or repressed? Uh, I I thought it was repressed, but I I'm not okay. sure. It, it could have been either. Yeah, it's an interesting comment. So he's making he's making a reference joke back to their night of pizza and Donna Reed. Yeah. And because he still really does not grasp what their problems with Donna Reed are. And Rory does a terrible job of explaining it. Yeah. She doesn't understand that Dean's life has been very different from hers. Yes. Dean Dean is in a tradition, has grown up in a traditional family with both parents. Uh, and he says, my mother, you know, when she stayed at home, she did make all of our meals. But when she went back to work, she did not make all the meals at night, just on the weekends. Although my question there is, so were they just not eating anymore during the week? <laughs> like, the, my, my big well, question in this argument is, first of all, why does Rory never mention the most obvious argument, which is like, when, when he says something like, well, what does that say about my mom if she did this my response is it says nothing about your mom it says a lot about your dad where where is the equality the the issue is not whether we're judging dean's mom for wanting to make dinner for her family the issue is is the distribution of labor actually equal or is your mom expected to do everything and i thought it was a little bit unclear from what he said what was going on and rory just doesn't mention that at all she just sort of goes off on this other tangent she does say something she does say something about was well, because women don't have a choice. Yeah. And with the comment that I wrote down, the note is, how does she know that Donna Marie didn't have a choice? Yeah. So because she, they've not really discussed anything more than surface level yes. of these issues. Exactly. I mean, they're they're not sitting there having the conversation that you and I are having right yeah. now. So what's going on between Dean and Rory is that they've had completely different lives, yeah. and they have different perspectives on those lives. Dean has has probably it's never even occurred to him that he should be thinking about these issues. That he should wonder why his mother had to work and come home and make dinner if yeah. she did, because we're, we're not really sure about that. But she did do it on the weekends. Yeah. You know, so he. He, he's never really had to think about it, but Rory can't understand why he doesn't, why this hasn't occurred to him, why he doesn't look at it from the same perspective that she has. Yeah. And you know, Rory, she was raised in a single parent household. She's had to take on a lot of responsibility that a lot of kids don't have to when they have, when they don't have just one working parent. She also does live in a weird fantasy universe where somehow she and Lorelai have enough money to eat out at every single meal. <laughs> yeah. Lorelai doesn't cook because she doesn't have to. She, yeah. She, they eat out a lot. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's, the, yeah, that, and, and that is the other level that they're not talking about here, which is the economics of it. Like, in most families, most people cannot afford to eat out for every meal so someone has to cook unless everyone is just making food for themselves someone mm -hmm. has to cook so this has to be a discussion and the truth is the the unfeminist truth is that in many if not most families to this day there isn't a discussion it's just assumed that the woman will do all of it or 80 yeah. percent of it i mean mm -hmm. that i don't know what that there was some statistic a couple of years ago where they you know they did like a poll and the the suggestion was that women are still doing 60 to 80 percent of the the housework even though in most yeah. families both the women and the men work and i have no idea if queer couples were even involved in this poll at all but yeah and in, in most heterosexual couples where both partners work the women still tend to do way more of the not just cooking but all of the housework it, it's not just yeah it's cooking and cleaning but it's also household management yes which means 
you know, managing the income, managing the bills, managing the scheduling, yeah. scheduling kids, taking them to scheduling for the doctor, taking them to the doctor, mm-hmm. all that household. And it's called social, no, it's called uh, emotional work too. Yes. Not just, you know, the, the, the management, but the emotional work in, in the family, mm-hmm. solving everybody's problem. It's always fallen on women. And even now when women, for the most part, all work. I, like, I want to be clear that I don't think it is inherently unfeminist for a family to have a dynamic where the agreement is that the man works and the woman does the stuff at home, as long as that's actually what they both want. And it's kind of hard to tell for sure if that's what people want, because we have so many societal pressures telling women that this is still like what they should do. And, and not just telling women, but it also tells men it's what they should not do. Yes. So there's, the, you know, there's a big issue in, in corporate culture that still exists that m- women can get maternity leave, but men can't always get paternity yes. leave. And one of the one of the issues that your father and I had, that I stayed home with you guys and he went to work. But of the two of us, I was way more ambitious yeah. than he was in, in, a, in a better world. I mean, I, I didn't want you going in, into daycare. That's yeah. the reason... I stayed home. I, I just could not tolerate that idea. But I wasn't, I should not have been the one staying home. Yeah. I should have been the one in the workforce. He should have been the one staying home. Yeah. But he also, just as things go, he was not very good at taking care of the household and taking care of the kids. He wasn't good at remembering everything. <laughs> he wasn't good at remembering things. That's all we're going to say about that. Yeah. But but I was good at both. So yeah. I, I, I had to. So you had, had to, to do choose. both. Yeah. I had to do both. But it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of work and women are women are exhausted from yeah. it. And and that that would have been a great topic for them to explore here a little bit more. Yeah, but, but they instead just it's don't. it's a simplistic <laughs> yeah. it's a simplistic approach. Now, here's a question. I d I don't remember where this happens, but at some point Lorelai says, Wise up winds up on the floor crying like a girl. What was she describing? Do you remember? Winds I didn't write the, the scene down, but I wrote like the quote down because I thought you don't get to be a feminist just some of the time. Yeah. If you're going to talk about somebody crying, winding up on the floor, crying like a girl, mm-hmm. that's a very unfeminist it's statement. Extremely Whatever sexist. the scene was. Yeah, that's an yeah. extremely sexist thing to say. I don't remember that exact scene, but I do kind of remember hearing that. And I think it honestly offended me so much that I didn't take a note and I just blocked it out. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know, I've I've been I've been watching a lot of friends lately and there are a ton of jokes like that. I think jokes like that were just really common at the time. Just this this sort of cultural hegemony enforcing toxic masculinity and this mm-hmm. idea that doing anything like a girl is inherently bad. Ugh, it's 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 so Yeah, rough. there and, was actually there was, there was actually a whole campaign and it might have been Nike. Oh yeah. It did a whole athletic campaign and bless their hearts because it it brought it brought it it brought it to people's attention for the yeah. first time this is how a girl throws this is how a girl runs and sometimes girls run really fast yeah, and throw <laughs> so it, yeah it yeah it's not you shouldn't be saying anything is something like a girl like yeah. a girl yeah so yeah rory brings the bird home lorelei decides to name it stella which is basically just setting us up for a streetcar named desire joke later on and before before we go further it, I was on pins and needles, obsessively, internally screaming at the, <laughs> the television uh, when she put the bird on the kitchen table. <laughs> Birds are notoriously <laughs> filthy. <laughs> My fastidiousness was really coming out. I thought, oh, get that damn bird off the kitchen table. 
<laughs> I was kind of surprised why they didn't just put it in Rory's room immediately, unless I unless know. Rory's room is not very well temperature controlled, because birds can be sensitive to that. But yeah, I was just like, it should be in Rory's room immediately. Why would you put it, like, not just on the kitchen table, which should be clean, but also at the center of activity in your house? You're mm-hmm. just way increasing the chances that something's gonna happen. But yeah, um, okay, so Lorelai goes over to Luke's with paint chips and starts taping them up uh, around the diner, and she ultimately convinces Luke to go with the combination of green and orange, which I think is kind of hideous. <laughs> These are not well, two colors that go together. I, I get what she's saying I, and and, and I, I yeah. like her thought behind it because she's trying to keep it as similar to the original diner as possible I just think like mm-hmm. green and orange are not two colors that should go together they're not complementary they're not it's not it's not a good combo but I get what she's doing so mixed feelings about it and we can talk more about that in a second there, there's like a really quick scene where Rory goes over to Lane's to borrow a CD just an amazing scene it's the best it scene of the episode once again <laughs> it's a best scene in the episode I actually wrote that in my in my notes best scene in the episode yeah it, it once again reinforces that lane is just the best character yeah she's, so I, great. she's just a wonderful so she's got a cd collection yes and we don't know what the cd is yes that that They're, rory wants rory to wants. borrow yeah so they go through they go through she's got them hidden in the floorboards, in the floorboards because yeah. her mother her mother would never let her have this music so she goes from i'm just the interest the filing system one of the systems is punk rock new wave German metal bands and Broadway soundtracks. Mm-hmm. That's in one group. <laughs> Another grouping is jazz, country, rockabilly, and Sinatra the Capital Years. And it's not just not just Sinatra. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's the capital years, uh, but yeah. but my, my but my favorite of this when she talks about the pretty boy rock, the pretty boy rock, and I'm like, what is, what is she talking about? And she mentions Bon Jovi in a couple other places. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, that is perfect. I've the never heard flowers. Bon Jovi called pretty. Yeah, I is that what they are? I, I thought they were just regular rock, but okay. Uh, yeah, she, well, she. I mean, they're they're all kind of technically regular rock, but it's basically a category where the the front man is hot. Like that's what it is. So it's Bon Jovi okay. and like you. You know what Jacob Dylan looks like. He's gorgeous. He's the front man of the Wallflowers. For, for, for your generation, I have never felt him found him that appealing. Oh my god! But blue yeah. eyes, the full lips. He's beautiful. <laughs> he's a he's a better version. Actually, he's a great combination of his mother and father. His yeah. mother, they're absolutely gorgeous woman. So that's where he's getting the good looks yeah. from. Not not from his not from his dad, who, by the way, people is Bob Dylan. But the Bon Jovi thing, it clicked for me when she said it was Pretty Boy Rock. I thought, oh man, that is a perfect, perfect description. It really is. Absolutely. Uh, and I also liked, I think it's under the miscellaneous category where she reveals that she has the Shatner CD where he sings Tambourine Man and Lucy and the oh, yeah. <laughs> two, two Dylan references in one scene. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was, it's my favorite scene in, in the whole episode. I and mean, I also, she's got four different areas in her bedroom where she pulls the floorboard up and she's got yeah. CDs in there. So great. I paused the episode at that point and I looked up the Shatner version of Tambourine Man and it is so weird. <laughs> I mean, it's weird actually just bad. Weird. I, it's fascinating. I mean, I didn't love it, but it, like, it's actually more musical than you would think because a lot of Shatner covers, he's 
just talking, you know? Spoken word, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's got like a backing band or something that's like singing the whole time. And then towards the end of the song, he just starts like screaming. He's just like screaming Mr. Tambourine Man. It's like he's having a psychotic break as the song is going on. Okay, so I I have to look that up and listen to it. But you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy also released albums. Yes. Now, I don't know if he sang, because I've never heard them. He did, sort of. Did you, you've heard them then? Okay. Well, I've heard one because there was an exhibit at Mopop in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a pop culture museum. I don't know if it's still there, but they have like a fantasy segment. So there's a part of Mopop where things are like divided into different genres. So there's a sci-fi area and a fantasy area and a horror area. And for a long time in the fantasy area, there was a big air, a big part of it dedicated to Lord of the Rings, of course. And one of the things that Leonard Nimoy recorded was an ode to Bilbo Baggins. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and you could you could play you could put headphones on in the exhibit and play it and it would like there's a little screen where you could watch the ridiculous music video that looks very Teletubbies. Like it it looks like they did it on the same set as the Teletubbies or something. And it's Leonard Nimoy singing Bilbo. And it's oh it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, but getting back to getting back to the scene, yes, I am see. just really impressed by Lane and her breadth of understanding mm-hmm. or appreciation for music. I mean, it, it's just astounding, really. What what teenager listens to Broadway sound ta- tracks and yeah. Sinatra, The Capital Years, and Bon Jovi? All, yeah, all of these different things. It's great. And I yeah. love her system for hiding it under the floorboards. And the floorboards, it's so yeah. It's excellent. It's just a great scene. So just to summarize the rest of the night in the diner, because there is like a little bit more. It's basically just this like, yet again, unintentionally on Lorelai's part, like super romantic night that she shares with Luke they're reminiscing about his childhood well this episode brings up questions about her intentions yeah you, you, you know it does seem like it's unintentional it's a very cute romantic scene broken up visually hysterically by the town criers at the yes. door because the whole town comes to take pictures of Luke preparing his diner for a decor renewal. Yeah. And he, he's, he has steadfastly, curmudgeonly resisted this for years. And they are astounded that he's doing it. So they're at the door taking pictures. And it's such a funny visual because they're both on the floor mm-hmm. and in any any other movie or tv scene they would be kissing so that's how close it comes and yeah. uh and it doesn't happen i don't want to jump jump ahead too fast because there's a couple others well maybe we should jump ahead because yeah, she, we, we can jump ahead. she gets home and the, the bird is missing stella stella is gone yeah. At first, I thought she was dead when they showed the the cage really quickly. Anyway, but she's not dead. She's just missing. Lorelai doesn't call anybody else. Mm-hmm. And this is pointed out to her by at least two other people. She calls Luke mm-hmm. and says, can you come help me find the missing chick? Yeah. She doesn't say bird. No. She says chick. chick. And he, of course, doesn't understand why she... She thinks she's making this up as a lure to get him over there. Mm-hmm. And everybody else thinks the same thing. I didn't because I assumed she she thought calling him first because she had literally just left his presence. Yeah. So he was an uppermost in mind and she and she has good reasons yeah. for not calling anybody else. I mean, I, 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 I do get that from her perspective, but from his perspective, they just like huddled together got really close to kissing and then she excused herself and then as soon as she got home she called him and begged him to come over like from his perspective i do get why he thinks that yeah she made up an excuse 
everybody else she tells the story to, including Suki, yeah. gets gets that impression, and she actually gets mad at Suki about it. Yes, she does. Because Rory learned to be a bad friend from Lorelai. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm being mostly facetious, but I was also like, I don't think it's really appropriate to get this mad at Suki for just pointing out something that is very obvious. Well, it's because she doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. And there's a, there are reasons for that, So, and we'll get into that in a little bit that actually have to do with the story arc. Yes. But this this episode is like kind of outside of the story arc for the most part. But but anyway, so in the next scene, when he comes over and he finally, he realizes that there really is a missing bird mm-hmm. and they keep calling it the chick. She is describing him at one point where she'd seen the bird. And she says, yeah, she was on the InStyle magazine and she burrowed through Glamour and jumped over Cosmo and knocked over the nail polish. If there's any doubt this chick is a girl there isn't any more okay so again she has made uh it's not necessarily an anti-feminist statement but she's made a generalization statement i mean those magazines could have been there for a gay man too or you know for that's probably about it gay I men mean, and but, women <laughs> but it does also point out like those are her magazines and her nail polish these are like feminine signifiers which Very, kind of yeah. underlines the fact that she and rory are feminine women and yet they were hating on Donna Reed for for being being a feminine ultra feminine woman of her time, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like yeah. you know that I mean we're we're basically arguing aesthetics. Like you just don't like the aesthetic of a woman getting the dinner ready by a certain time and and wearing a dress and high heels all day, but you do like the aesthetic of these frankly vapid magazines and nail in- polish, including including Cosmopolitan. Yeah, I mean. Is there is there any more ridiculous more feminine, a- yeah. and and feminine and yeah. yes ridiculous Cosmo is like infamous for you know those articles that are like fifty ways to please your man sexually that include yeah. like weird directives like put cold coins on his chest <laughs> like, and for for a feminist household to have a copy of Cosmo laying around is a little weird yeah especially at that time I do think Cosmo has intentionally tried to like up its feminist game in the past couple of decades but at the time every single article in that magazine was how to please your man sexually or how to look good that's what that magazine was about yeah it's terrible you know if that entertains you that's fine but let's not pretend that it's like a huge feminist statement or like that it's that different from wearing a dress and high heels all day what was donna reed doing she was pleasing her man what does cosmo want you to do please your man (laughs) it's the same thing Anyway, yeah. so Dean does show up over at Babette's house, and I wished that I could have appreciated the visual gag of both of them ducking under Babette's super short doorways, but I couldn't because I maybe hate this part of the episode the most. For some reason, instead of making a decent argument, Rory decided to dress up as Donna Reed and make a whole dinner for Dean in some sort of weird, sarcastic ploy that then turns earnest. I don't know what Rory was trying to do here. It it is unfathomable to me. Completely. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, I don't know if she was trying she was trying to make a point but then she really got into it I think that's what I, it was she was trying to be yeah. sarcastic she was trying to make like a whole I think she was trying to make fun of him I think she was trying to show him how ridiculous this idea is but then she got kind of into it and the reason is and we don't realize it at first is that she's done some homework and done yes. some research on Donna Reed and found out all these things that we mentioned earlier in the episode that the woman 
was a producer and director uncredited. So she she's reading, she's read a lot about her. She took in the, she found the recipes, I guess. She found recipes to cook all this stuff. And she took all that very seriously. Well, that's a thing. Cooking, cooking is a serious thing. If you're really going to do it right, yeah. you have to follow, you know, you either have fairly good instincts about food or you follow recipes. And it's hard work. Anybody who makes fun of women who stay home and take care of their families and cook yeah. and clean doesn't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. Yeah. Because I have done it and it's not easy. You know, people, I've had women tell me when, you know, when I said that I was a stay-at-home mom, this is, you know, 25 years ago, tell me, oh, I'd be so bored. Lord, really? Because I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> this is not an even even slightly boring. It's complicated. It's hard. I am running things and all kinds of projects and stuff. Especially all if you have a child. If you have children, it's a full-time job. Yeah, taking care of, uh, of children, especially young children, that's a job that never ends. You get no off mm-hmm. time. You're on the clock yeah. 24-7. <laughs> 24-7. And you have to cook dinner and do laundry mm-hmm. and keep the house clean. I did want to say, though, Rory eventually reveals that she made the mashed potatoes out of a box and the green beans were canned. Yes, she does. And But that's at the very end. Yes, that's at the very end. She also made these weird little custard appetizers. I don't know what those were. I couldn't quite. I mean, it had to be some kind of custard. I I thought they looked like raviolis. I mean, like... (laughs) I mean, oh, like mini empanadas or something. Yeah, well, you know, empanada. Yeah, I mean, I I think they like the the base sort of looked like an empanada, but it looked like it had custard on top. Anyway, I oh. I could not I could not tell for sure what they were supposed to be. And and the thing is, Dean is so astounded by this whole presentation that he doesn't know what to think or what to make of it, mm-hmm. and he's just like, you can see that what he wants to say is, "What the hell are you doing?" Instead, she she's tell she's telling him about the food and how she made this and how she's completely lost track yep. of what her original intention was. Yep. So she doesn't even doesn't even backtrack and tell him. Oh yeah, I wanted to put you on the spot because mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. she's totally gotten into it. And and here's the thing: when she starts talking about how she did all this research into Donna Reed, like I do think it's great that she did that research, and I think it's great that you know she like mm-hmm. realized that the show had more to offer than she initially thought. But why doesn't she turn to him and say, uncredited producer and director, think about what that means. This show only Mm -hmm. exists because of Donna Reed, and on her own show, she could not get credit for being a producer and a director, because that's not women's work. That's Mm -hmm. not allowed. And actually, you were talking about Lucille Ball earlier. She was also a producer on her show and is never credited Mm -hmm. for it. Desi Lu Productions is given credit, but she was the producer. She made all the creative decisions in that show, which was is a story that did not come out for decades. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, her husband was a macho Latin guy, and he didn't want anybody knowing that his, well, his wife was running the show. Yeah. And I think producers thought, or you know, executive producers, people were getting the, the money people, were, were concerned that if, that if it got out, that a woman was making this thing happen, they wouldn't get funding. Mm-hmm. So they had to keep it under wraps. Yeah. And... My problem with this scene is why does she not tell her mother this? Yeah. Because she is a little brainwashed by her mother. Now, for the most part, 98% of the time, I agree with Lorelai. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, she is not really giving it. She's not getting into the deeper issues with her daughter. She's giving her lip service yeah. on these issues. Here Rory is finding out stuff on her own. 
Yeah. She's she's realizing why this show is important. And that may I wonder if that is why they chose Donna Reed because the creator of this show and it's it's producer, director, writer is a woman. And she didn't make the show until she was older. Yeah. So there's she was a writer for years, I think. So there's a good good chance that she faced that she faced some of these issues. Yeah. And that's why she chose Donna Reed. Yeah. And in fact, I I do know a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. She and her husband wrote like almost every single episode of the show for years and she ended up leaving the show before the final season literally because she was burned out on having to do so much of it herself and she asked the network or producers or whatever for the money for a full writing staff so that she wouldn't have to shoulder so much of the burden and they refused so she left and then the irony is because she left but they still wanted to keep going with the show they had to hire the writers anyway so they mm-hmm. did have to give her what she wanted, but they so didn't want to let her have that win that they let the woman who created this show leave. Amy Sherman Palladino, since I'm not sure we said her name. And the last season was not as good. Yeah. And probably because her input wasn't there. So, yeah. Could you hear what the music was? No, I could not tell. I could not tell what was happening. And I tried. This is the CD that she borrowed and played uh-huh. for him. Now, there is music at the very end that you can hear a little bit. And at first I thought, well, maybe that's the music. But it turned out to be the troubadour. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what what the music was, and they don't show us. Maybe it sounded like the background music from the Donna Reed show. So I guess that kind of well that okay that that like wraps up that part, and then the next scene essentially is Luke and Dean end up. Oh, actually, I did want to say before we say that because we're we're about to get into the parallels that are happening here. I also kind of mm-hmm. hate, and it it I, it didn't occur to me until literally this scene that what is happening kind of bird's eye view in this show is that on the one hand we've got Dean and Rory are reenacting this like 1950s role play session and on the other hand Lorelai has gone full damsel in distress and literally had to call a man to fix her problem for her well now see I thought the parallel was that was it was it was typical tropic rom-com situation Mm -hmm. where she calls a man to help her and it becomes a, a romantic thing and they end up you know kissing doesn't happen but yeah. but that's kind of where I thought the the parallel was. Yeah. So the final scene of that evening is Luke and Dean have basically both agreed to take out the trash, which I think kind of underlines mm-hmm. the parallel between these two plots. Uh, Dean is literally taking out a bag of trash. Luke is taking out the lamp that he I think he accidentally broke. He accidentally broke. Yeah. Uh, and they end up seeing each other because they go out at the same time. So they see each other and they both try to lie about why they're there and then (laughs) Rory and Lorelai both come outside and Lorelai is super taken aback by how Rory is dressed of course okay now what is the what is wrong with this continuity wise visually with this scene Rory is at Babette's house Mm -hmm. which apparently is next door and yet how many times have we seen her be across the street yeah. So they've moved the house. Yeah, <laughs> the house is moved completely next door. Anyway, so that was a real problem for me too. I think it's they, also they usually just on the other side, isn't it? Like she's across the street. Yeah. I mean, they can see her from their front porch. Yeah. You, you can't. You can't look straight ahead and see your next door neighbor. Yeah. So 
she is her next door neighbor in this scene in in this episode but who knows what it'll be in the next episode yeah that yeah that is definitely a continuity issue luke and dean kind of have an exchange and then they both leave leaving rory and lorelei and lorelei starts well she she says you know i i figured you would have a boy over but i didn't figure you would be dressed this way uh and then she just kind of starts making fun of the outfit which i do get (laughs) because it is it is an extreme outfit i also actually i don't like it i actually i normally really like 1950s fashion i don't like 1950s values but i i kind of love the like fitted at the waist and big skirt oh i loved it yeah but i don't like this dress (laughs) i don't i don't like the colors the color the color is that good and she's got matching matching orange heels yeah which are also hideous But 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 otherwise it's kind of cute. Although she yeah. does say at one point that her her toes feel so pinched yeah. in the high heels that they she's lost feeling, which I can totally relate to. But and, and I do like I like the petticoat and I like the swish. Like she's very clearly yeah. wearing a petticoat under mm-hmm. that skirt. But just the color is awful. <laughs> That's pretty much that scene. And then we get Suki and Michelle fighting at work. And you know again this this is one of the few times in this series that I have not liked Suki. It's a simple request. Mm -hmm. Michelle asks her for an egg white omelet Mm -hmm. because he's trying to eat healthfully. She refuses to make it. They go back and forth. Of course, in Suki's defense, at one point, Michelle says... Says something real um, shitty about her body. (laughs) It She doesn't... Neither one of them flinches, which bothers me. She says... He says, but I I can't eat like that and look like her. Mm -hmm. Was he really talking about Suki or was he talking about his boss, Lorelai, oh, and they just... Oh, okay, that's a good... I I assumed he was talking about Suki, and I was extremely I offended. But maybe you're I was right. too. Maybe he meant, like, I can't eat that way and still look like Lorelai. Because if he had meant that to be about Suki, wouldn't Lorelai have said something? You would think, right? I got the... I, think it was edited badly maybe i think yeah. he was he sh- he should have been saying it looking at lorelei and said i can't eat like that and look like, like you, you is what i yeah. think that's what his what they were intending him to say because suki doesn't turn around she doesn't flinch yeah she doesn't lorelei doesn't think that's a yeah. really really mean thing to say yeah and it's not it's not something that michelle would say yeah i don't think it's not in, it's not in his character yeah and, and so i think I, it would, it would thinking, also make more sense in the scene if he was saying i can't eat like that and still look like you that kind of does make more sense yeah or or look like i do like he yeah. does because he's slim and fit so i i think that was the intention of of what he was saying even yeah. though it didn't come out that way but what really bothers me about this scene is how mean suki is to him she refuses yeah. to make this simple thing for him and then when he when he leaves the kitchen he, he grabs an orange and he decides that's going to be his breakfast and lorelei turns to her and says but you make a kick-ass a- egg white omelet egg white omelet she says yes i know i do she make gets a smirk on her face and i'm like why yeah and and it's not even just the egg thing like she makes it full of stuff that he can't eat that she knows he can't eat yes and i am a vegetarian yes. and i know this pain she literally like, she he, in- he doesn't eat meat and he doesn't eat dairy and she puts dairy and meat in the omelet yes and a lot of cheese fills it up with fat yeah and the thing is i eat all of those things and would not have been able to eat that omelet in fact oh, yeah. I don't, it sounded so rich it's so rich i don't order omelets like that yeah. because it's just too much and three eggs 
Yeah, three, three eggs full and eggs? pancetta for breakfast. Pancetta is like super thick, super salty. Salty, vegan. super yeah. salty. Yeah, it's really mean, and yeah. it's, it just seems out of character for and Suki. It's, so it's wasteful of the food because he's not going to eat it. So who's going to eat it? He's he's lactose intolerant. He doesn't. Yeah. He can't eat that. And an omelet needs to be eaten immediately, or it's going to be unpalatable. And I'm assuming that the staff gets free meals a lot, of, yeah. and that's usually what happens in hotels is that they can't pay you a lot so that you get to eat free meals yeah. so this he's ordering his standard breakfast meal and she's refusing to make it for him i it's just and really i cruel. just like and i and I, I feel like there's also this thing where like both suki and lorelei are shitting on michelle for being on this strict diet and it's just it is not your business what he chooses to put inside his body he can eat whatever the fuck he wants it's at the salad thing at the beginning of the episode yeah. why are they making fun of other people what other people want to eat or what other people see as healthy and especially when you consider like if you put this scene in the context of what lauren graham has admitted to actually eating she eats the the egg white omelet like that that is her actual kind of diet because that is what you have to eat if you're gonna look like her that that is you can't eat a giant three egg omelet loaded with pancetta and goat cheese and expect to look like lauren graham i i just don't i understand they're doing this for laughs yeah. It just it seems like this whole episode has been full of meanness and cruelties back back to back that are out of character for all these characters. And hypocrisy. Because in the first and hypocrisy. scene, they're yes. making fun of Donna Reed for like making donuts and cake and all of this stuff in, in one day and how like her sugary face will give people diabetes or whatever. But then at the end of the day, or at the end of the episode, Michelle wants to eat a, a like low calorie meal that's Healthy. like based on like health guidelines and mm-hmm. he's also wrong so there is no right way to consume food yep and then on the heels of that is the scene between them where suki is pointing out to her she no i guess it's lorelei says to her something that he said didn't make any sense to me i think she's a, that's how she brings it up right yeah that when he when he enters so let's back up here she's talking about when luke comes to her house mm-hmm. and he walks in and he and he says oh you really do have a chick that's missing yeah a bird a bird that's missing that yeah. the you know chick means means girl means woman yeah. in, in a slang kind of way so it's bird in that scene before they're finished before they find the bird she's sitting in the cast and she kind of says why did you say that to me and he never does answer it because the answer is obvious he thought she was she was a, it was a booty call that's yeah. what that's what she thought so and that's the immediate thing that suki thinks too and suki mm-hmm. ex- tries to explain it to her and lorelei rejects it to the point of getting mad at her and slamming the door mm-hmm. so i i don't know it's not it's not a great <laughs> episode for lorelei as a person <laughs> Mm-mm. but yeah yeah suki immediately gets it and she's also like and she she presents it in this very non-judgmental way like she's not yeah she's not telling lorelei that she led him on she's not like saying that lorelei's a slut or anything if anything it's the opposite i i, I got the impression that suki kind of wants lorelei to date luke like she she says something like everybody luke's, does luke's a nice man yeah everybody everybody except her mother wants her to date yeah i think um, the whole luke. town ships them <laughs> They, they, yeah, they all know them. They all know that they, they are attracted to each other. Everybody, mm-hmm. Luke can see it too, but yep. Lorelai ref- is refusing to see it. Anyway, so then we go back to uh, dinner with the parents. <laughs> yes, dinner with the grandparents again. Uh, they have lucked out 
because Arthur Roundtree tragically died while drinking, and they're going to mm-hmm. snatch up his place at the vineyard. Uh, and I think there's a, a line where Rory, oh, they invite Rory and Lorelai to come and spend a week with them up there, and Rory asks if they can go, and Lorelai says, we'll see how much Valium Aunt Suki can lend Mommy. Yeah, and she she also makes a line about the guy who's, who's dead, and she says, well, he's dead now, so... We got this, or something like that. Anyway, and one somebody even says to her, "That's just morbid." Yeah. Oh, I, I think Emily says her, "That's yeah. just morbid," and it's not morbid; it's mean. It, it's mean, but also it's no more morbid than what Emily and uh, Richard are doing. <laughs> like, yeah, they they snapped up a dead man's. They were openly uh, celebrating the fact that he died. <laughs> and I guess it's a, it's a vacation rental that is going to be more than a couple days because they're talking it, about they're how buying it. So this time they're buying it. Yeah. Because in the first time, they, the place that they had originally liked in Martha's Vineyard, they had never bought. A, they just rental, always yeah. reserved it every year. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I think they're buying it. Also, like just because the color has come up a couple times in this house, Emily and Richard apparently don't like Arthur Roundtree's decorating style. Decor. And they, they say that his library was pink and green, which they think is hideous. And I think no one on this show understands color theory. Because pink and green are complementary. Yeah, they can't. Like, depending on the shade. Depending yeah, depending on the, on the shade, shade they can be, for sure. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely do like the wrong kind of pink and the wrong kind of green. Mm-hmm. But if they're both neon, or if they're both pastel and faded, you know, if they're in the same like kind of shade, then they are complementary. They go together way better than green and orange. I just no one on, on this show understands color theory. Well, now getting back to the green and orange, the the. She had three shades of, of orange there. One of them was kind of a coral, so it was a little faded. So yeah. that would probably, that with a sage green, listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about yeah. our, our colors here. I mean, yeah. But yeah. yeah. If, if, it's a more, if it's a more faded, more neutral looking orange, mm-hmm. that can work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I But you know. watch, we will never get back to this story. They will yeah. never oh, yeah. show that it's been painted. It's never nope. going to change. It's always going to be the same. <laughs> yeah. So we'll never know what they ended up doing. But but the but the best part of this scene is actually uh, the second best for me part of the episode, and that is where Emily pushes Lorelai on Luke mm-hmm. and gets her to admit. And she says to him, she says several things, and she ends it with, "He's the male lead in every story you tell," yes. and and that's what gets to her, I think, because to say something in, in a movie way, and she's going to get it. She she kind of hangs her head a little bit and admits that maybe she is interested in him, and she has never admitted that to anybody else how mm-hmm. emily got it out of her is beyond me but i guess your mother even if you don't always get along with her can get the truth out of you yeah. <laughs> somehow anyway so she says maybe i do and then we cut to the shattering episode or the scene yeah go ahead take it away yeah so yeah they lorelei and luke agree on a time to actually do the painting and then rory and lorelei are walking through the town and they end up stopping by the market and then they hear a motorcycle and you and they see it too there's a motorcycle driving through the town and and she knows exactly what kind of motorcycle it is the size of the engine the brand the year she could she's Apparently, something we didn't know about Lorelai is she's an aficionado of a motorcycle. So, well, we yeah. did we did have a hint of it because she, one of the things that she says to Dean when she's in her like I hate Dean phase is that Rory is not going to get on his motorcycle. And ah, I okay. thought at the so, time that that was a reference to Christopher. That, that was foreshadowing. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, but the, the motorcycle pulls over, and I could, did not remember this scene at all 
But I th- I thought I knew exactly who it was before yep. he took his head. But go ahead and, and I mean yeah I feel I mean I, yeah if you've ever seen the show before I feel like as soon as you as soon as I saw the motorcycle I was like here he is. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's it's Christopher. He he pulls up right beside them and he takes off his helmet. And before you know who he is, or I think actually before he, as he's taking off his helmet, he calls out to Lorelai and says, "Nice shirt, take it off." And then mm-hmm. takes off his helmet, because his it, helmet. It's his shirt, I assume. Oh, it could be, yeah. But I I think it was just I my my feeling was that maybe he had said that to her before when they were younger. It could be, but I, I think so many years have gone by that it, it it's more likely that it was his shirt. And why is she still wearing his shirt? I don't yeah, know. Why, I, why would she still Did you his... notice what kind of... I, I, didn't, I didn't really notice the shirt. I just sort of, I, I assumed that it was a reference to maybe how he had originally hit on her when they were teenagers. It could be. But she doesn't recognize his voice, which is the other weird thing. She yeah. doesn't know it's him until he takes his helmet well, off, and it's I one of those full-coverage hel- helmets. It's, I think it's been a while since they've seen him. Well, since, since she's seen him, I think Rory, may Rory goes to recently. see him a couple times a year. She, yeah. she visits him a couple times a year. But so she t- he takes the helmet off. Lorelai says, Christopher. Yeah, and with <laughs> by a the sigh. way, Christopher is is Rory's dad. In case anyone is listening, yeah, to this well, and I was, hasn't I was getting to that because then because then Rory goes dad and yeah. to him. So clearly, Rory and, and Christopher have a, have a decent relationship. So they spent some time together, which was is a very positive thing. I mean, it made me feel really good about that. It was kind of like a. I don't know. It kind of salvaged the, even though I know it's set, it's setting up a a difficult situation. Yeah. It, it salvaged it for me to see that Rory really has a good relationship with her dad. So. I have more mixed feelings because I don't think that necessarily means truly good relationship. Ah, okay. I think it's very easy for kids to be really excited when they see their dad once or twice a year. You know, like mm. I, I think when you're a kid and you haven't really processed how your dad has actually behaved from a more like adult standpoint it's very mm-hmm. like you know if he shows up for weekends and they go out and have fun and all she ever sees you know it's, it's like the 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 kind of stereotype of the weekend dad who like doesn't really have to do any of the hard stuff but he'll show up for like every other weekend or one weekend a month and and take them to disneyland or whatever you know he gets associated with all of these positive things and kids can often have a really positive view of their dad while at the same time sort of sublimating like you know the play that he didn't show up for like sort of forcing mm-hmm. themselves to forget like the times that he hasn't shown up or literally just the fact that like you only see him a couple times a year I I think it can be very easy for a kid to still feel positively about their dad or at the very least still be excited to see their dad even if he isn't actually showing up that much I get the impression though I have gotten the impression throughout the series so far that Lorelai has made a real effort not to portray Christopher as a bad guy. For sure. That she, she says it was a mutual decision that she would raise Rory and that Christopher would go off and pursue his dreams and have the life that she felt he was entitled to have. Mm-hmm. And she was willing to take on this responsibility and that she has shared that truth with her daughter throughout throughout her life so that she has no reason really to hate her dad. You might have reason to miss him yeah. and to, to not, and you're right. So I don't know how long, we don't, we don't really know, at least yet we don't know, yeah. how long the, the visits are or how much time happens between them. We are about four or five months into the show and she has not yet gone to visit him as far as we know. Yeah. So I also got the impression from Lorelai's response where she just sort of, she's looking at him like she already 
knows how this is going to go, that he shows up Mm -hmm. and gets Rory really excited and kind of upends their life and then he disappears again. That was my impression from, granted, like three seconds of a shot of her just the sort of preemptive disappointment on Lorelai's face as she looks at him. Like he's so magnetic. Or it could also be a matter, he is magnetic and very attractive and it could also be that she doesn't want to share a look worry with him yeah that could be um yeah but also he the back and forth between them where she tells he he offers to give rory a ride he immediately undermines her parenting well but he would have gone (laughs) along with her decision she she says um get on he says get on she says get did she say get off or not get on I forget, but she she says get off. He says get on. I, oh, she I says think it's get hop off. On, hop on, hop off. Hop on, hop off. Hop yeah. on, hop off. And they go back and forth three or four times before she hesitates and gives in because she's given her time to think about it. it it's not. I, I think for her, it, it well first of all, it's raining it, or it has it has is it raising that moment? But the street is wet. The street is wet. But, yeah. So riding a motorcycle on wet streets, it's it's a dangerous thing. Nobody yeah. wants to see their kid get on a motorcycle. Yeah. Even if you yourself enjoy riding. Motorcycles, motorcycles you don't see your kid get on a motorcycle it's it's scared the crap out of me for years whatever my son has talked about getting a motorcycle Mm -hmm. even though i myself would love to have a motorcycle it's different when it's your kid so i think that is a it's a fear thing going through her and she gives in because i think she does in the end trust christopher not to kill his daughter which i get except you are not necessarily in control of whether you die on a motorcycle my partner has a motorcycle and every time he gets on it i kind of have to bite down some of my fear um because he has he has had rough accidents and there it's not because he's not being responsible it's because when the road is wet sometimes your motorcycle just slides and there's nothing you can do about it and there's or somebody else hits you or somebody oh yeah i mean cars yeah there's been a whole campaign in missouri over the last couple of years in fact to protect motorcyclists mm-hmm. and you know signs and you know in on, on the the lit ones you know the electronic signs and in billboards saying please be aware of motorcyclists yeah give them space and yeah it's it's, it's and it, i think it's been pretty effective so to be fair like you know, I already have my memory of Christopher, so I definitely like don't see him in the see, most I, unbiased light. But I, I don't remember not, anything that happened. So I I'm, did not I'm, like this exchange, and I saw it as him undermining her parenting the second mm. he showed up because she doesn't want Rory to get on the motorcycle, but she gives in because Rory is excited by the idea of doing this thing with her dad, and she doesn't want to take that away from her, even though it's super not safe. And now, to be fair, that I think. I'm guessing, I'm hoping that they're only going to ride through the town and back home and so that they're not Mm going to get that fast and it's not going to be that far. But it feels like dad showed up and offered a cool, dangerous thing (laughs) and it didn't matter what mom was going to say. The kid wants to do it. So the mom's opinion just doesn't matter. It raises questions too. Where'd the motorcycle come from? He's he's coming here from California, right? So did he visit his parents and go ride out and buy a motorcycle or has he had a motorcycle that his parents had? I, you know, there's all kinds of questions. Did Where did the motorcycle come from? Ride How the motorcycle get... all the way yeah. from California? <laughs> but, you know, Rory also does the same thing to 
to Lorelai that Christopher does when he says he has to find a place to stay. She says, oh, yes, you can stay with us. And Lorelai says, well, I don't know about that. And, and, and Lorelai says, oh, come on, Mom. Well, she's getting ganged up on. So, of course, mm-hmm. you know, she's going to give in. Also, what is he just going to sleep on their couch? There's, there are no extra beds in their house. I guess he is. But you know what? <laughs> she runs an inn. Why can't he stay there? Yeah. That was my first thought. Good question. All right. Well, I, I think that's pretty much everything, unless you have any other thoughts about this scene. I actually don't know what to think about this episode. It's like every mean part of everyone's DNA came out. Yeah. Even Michelle says, well, we don't, we don't really know where he's, but, it, he, you know, he says, I can't look like her. We think he's probably talking about Lorelai at that point, but the immediate thought was he was talking about Suki. My other thought is that feminism is not about who cooks. Yes. It's about, it's about choices. And, and maybe equality. And equality. But it's about the equal opportunity to have choice about your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Abortion rights is about choice. Yes, I mean, everything sure. is about about choice. And if you decide to stay home with your children, and and that's your choice, then it's okay. But if you're forced into it by a husband who wants yeah. you wants you to be a traditional housewife, then it's not okay. So there's it's perspective, and by a society that will not allow you to be anything else. Right. Although, as I have often told people, my the women in my family have always worked, and they didn't yeah. always have great opportunities for great jobs, but they have yeah. always worked. There is was never a time unless it was just when their baby when their children were babies that they didn't work. And even then, if they were grandmothers watching the babies while the moms went to work. Always and I think that's always been a work that's been true of the working classes. Yeah. Women have always had to work. It's just the middle and upper classes mm-hmm. where women had the luxury mm-hmm. of staying home with children. So, yeah. What are your thoughts? I want to give this episode some credit because I suspect that maybe Amy Sherman Palladino actually is a huge fan of Donna Reed and maybe wanted to enlighten some people about how important she was to, you know, women's ability to be on television, period. And, you know, I want to give her some credit for that. But on the other hand, I just feel like, how are you going to have this whole episode basically be about Donna Reed and then bungle the discussion this badly. They never really get to the heart of the matter. It gets bogged down in this weird dress up thing that Rory does. Like I'm I'm glad that we're learning about Donna Reed and her accomplishments, but why is no one for even a second outraged or even just talking about the fact that Donna Reed was that important and yet in her time she was not allowed to be credited for the work that she did? Because that is a huge feminist issue. It is a common thing for women to be expected to do a lot of labor both at home and in the workplace that never gets credited. This is, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I definitely, I agree feminism is about choice, but it's also about more than that because what is the point of having a choice if, you know, if if all of society is pressuring you to make one specific choice or if even if you choose to do work, you never get credit for that work. If feminism is about choice, but it's also about a lot more than that. And, you know, that's not even touching on the long history of white feminists shutting out black women and you know trampling over them to to get theirs feminism is is about choice but it's also about intersectionality and it's also about changing societal narratives so that we don't force people to conform to these unfair roles and think that they chose it because you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure that there are a lot of women who would say that you know they chose x y or z but maybe if you look 
into it, it's more like they felt like they had to do this. And, you know, I'm sure like a lot of women just I, I mean, in your own experience, you left the workforce to take care of us and then you went back and thought that things would then be equal, but they weren't. And what choice did you have there? Let your children starve so that you could work? <laughs> no, the work had to get done. So sure, you were choosing to go back to work, but also you had to continue taking care of the house and the kids because it had to get done. So, yeah. And we should point out too, that it also affected my career. I yes. had a had a, a very hard time getting back into the to the workforce at a level that that matched my my skill set, my competencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost feels like Amy Sherman Palladino. Sherman, it's a long name. It's a long name. Um, <laughs> it almost feels like she had an idea about this episode and then tried to pack way too much into it. Yeah, and and it it, it did not really give her the time that she needed then to un, unpack the the whole Donna Reed story as well as she could have. Yeah, maybe it was just that it was kind of too big a thing to tackle in a single episode. And maybe it's just, you know, this is what happens when you have to write 22 whole episodes of television in a year because that is a huge yeah. task that, that's huge that is, yeah yeah that's ridiculous i mean that's basically like writing 10 whole movies in a year you know imagine mm-hmm. trying to churn out that much content more even because each episode has to have its own plot you know i, I, I want to be clear that amy sherman palladino did a lot of work to make this show work and i don't want to like say that she's not a feminist because of this one episode i just want to say that i don't think this episode was very well done and I don't I don't think at any point it really got into any of the issues that it was talking about and I guess to go even further into the weeds you know in in my opinion feminism not not even just feminism but like in general we also need to examine the idea that work is the center of all of our lives because you know it, it is a common experience for women that if they take time off to have children their career suffers it's a statistically it's it's a, like a statistically provable thing Thing, that women who have oh, children yeah. make less money than women who don't women who leave the workforce for a period to take care of their children suffer and most of them never make up for the time that they've lost never make up for the income that they've lost and just are punished basically for the rest of their lives in their career because of this this time and what does that say about us as a culture that we're punishing women for taking time out of their lives to have children do we not want people to have children do we Mm -hmm. not want people to have families because i think we do and i think maybe if maybe if we do and if we want to commit to the idea that we're going to continue to have families maybe we need to reorganize our our idea of of how uh what should be important in life because right now it's sort of we're in this culture where work is all and everything is sort of centered around your job and maybe that's not the way that we should organize our lives you know know maybe free time and family and friends are things that should be centered in instead of work uh mm-hmm. and i think that there is a way to think about that that is feminist that doesn't just you know force women out of the workforce and leave men in i think that this should be an egalitarian discussion <laughs> and actually uh gloria Steinem would agree with you and people you know she gets a bad rap sometimes by younger feminists especially but she herself never had children she but she has said one of the most important kinds of work that women do is to have children and raise them to be decent human beings and that that should be a choice that any woman should be able to access but she she does she looks at uh raising children as 
as another form of work. You know, she she says it's all about being productive. Everybody has the right the right to work, and by that she means the right to be productive, the right to do have passion about something. You know, maybe it's art, maybe it's welding, but to be to feel good about it, to produce something, to have your days mean something that you're you know contributing to the world. Mm-hmm. So if we looked at work as a way of con- of contributing to making the world function, being a being a contributing member of society is, is basically what she's talking about. If you looked at it like that instead of just as a means to pay our bills and to structure our lives around that it, that it's all like you said it's all it's all a part of the same you know it should all work together it should be a little bit more seamless work is individual what you do what you're having work that makes you feel productive and feel good about it could be raising children could be fixing cars could be yeah. writing novels yeah so it, it's but whatever it is that you do that is productive everybody has the right to that yeah and 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 to support themselves they have the right to earn a decent living too yeah to support themselves and their families so she's written a lot about this um very supportive of women who stay home and and raise children she really is as a feminist it's, that's kind of unusual because she took a lot of criticism for that too from more ardent feminists yeah. <laughs> who shall not be named but and because it was used to you know women staying home was used to oppress them yeah. So, you know, the earliest feminist, uh, the second, earliest second wave feminist, and the woman's name is not coming to me, but she wrote the big, the big book in the 50s. But she wrote about how oppressive motherhood was. Mm. And, and, and that's because it was the only choice. You, you, you know, you couldn't do anything outside of motherhood. And once you were done raising children, what did you do? Kept the house. Betty Friedan. Oh, Betty Friedan. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole, whole history to why some feminists get more up in arms about women who stay home. And yeah. I completely understand it because it was used to oppress women. But yeah. on the other hand, if you want to raise your own children, you should have that choice. And we should support it. We should support it financially. Yes. Because that's the reason most women don't raise their yeah. own children is they cannot afford to do so. So, yeah, I guess in summary, feminism is actually really complicated. And it's a whole dialogue that's been happening for decades now. And this episode. <laughs> centuries. Didn't, centuries. Didn't, yeah, centu- well, the term <laughs> feminism is not that okay. old. Okay. But, All right. All right. But, yes. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that one. Yeah, if we're just talking about, you know, gender roles or whatever, yes, that has been happening for centuries. Feminism specifically for probably, I guess, at least a a century now. And and this episode didn't do any of it justice and just sort of referenced it. But I think our discussion did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, it was a a terrible episode of the show – but a great podcast episode. Yes. And on that on that note, are we done? <laughs> yeah, we're done. We're done. Okay, right. so that, that, dear listeners, is all for today. And it's probably about all you can handle. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com. That's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R.com, where you can sign up for my email list. Or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare or on TikTok at author.tess.adare. And if you want to support us on Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash where you lead. And I'm Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at stl underscore writer underscore Beth. Or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Where You Lead, our fun and terribly woody podcast, and should I add controversial sometimes, about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then. Thank you.